0: Praise the Lord. What a beautiful day the Lord's given us today. And cool out as it ought to be in this time of the year. And Praise the Lord for that as well. Um, but just a wonderful day. And thank you for making the effort to come out and to gather uh, together to hear the word of the Lord preached and to worship our Savior. If you would turn with me in your Bibles this morning to de- the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 10. And we'll stand together as we find our place there. We'll be looking this morning at verses 11 through 21. And continuing on with our theme thought for the year this morning. Deuteronomy chapter number 10. And beginning in verse number 11. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take thy journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, and to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thine soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also, with all that therein is. And only the Lord hath the delight in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty, and a terrible, which regardeth not persons, nor taketh reward. He doth execute judgment of the fatherless and widow, and loveth the stranger in giving him food and raiment. Love you therefore the stranger." For ye were strangers in, a land, in the land of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve. And to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. He is thy praise, and he is thy God, and hath done for thee these great and terrible things which thine eyes have seen. And I want to speak to you this morning on the thought going forward or go forward with God. Let's pray. Fathers, we come together this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together in this place. And Lord, thank you that you have promised that where we gather together in your name, even just a few, Lord, you promised that you'd meet with us. And Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. I need your power to preach. I need you to help my voice this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless all of us that are here. May our hearts be open. Lord, I pray that we would be willing this morning to open our hearts to you and allow you to search us, to show us areas in our life in which we need growth, maybe some areas in which we need to seek forgiveness, or paths and habits of life that need to change as we grow in the grace and the admonition of the Lord. Lord, I pray that you bless now, Lord, do the work in each and every heart and life that needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you can be seated. <coughs> <coughs> I may not sound good, but I feel a whole lot better than I did last week. And so let's pray with me that the Lord will help my voice to get through without having to stop and cough too much. And so as we get and jump in here this morning, um, I think that one thing that becomes obvious uh, and more so the older that we get is that the one thing in life that's constant, the one thing in life that is unalterable is time. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stand still, it doesn't slow down, it doesn't deviate. Uh, There are going to be an exact number of ticks of the clock each and every day. Uh, You you just, no matter what we do, no matter where we are in life, whether we are are progressing or whether we are regressing, time is going forward. Uh, And so, and it will continue to do so. And so when we consider that and we stop and we think about our lives, consider this morning have I, and I think I wrote this even in an article in the Bulletin this week, where am I right now? In relation to where I was one year ago, am I closer to the Lord or am I farther away? Have I have I advanced in my walk with God and my Christian life and my service to the Lord or I have fallen back? Uh, I think it's fair to say, and I, I, I don't know that uh, there really would be much, much, uh, legitimate challenge to the notion that none of us are exactly in the same place now that we were a year ago. Uh, Our relationship with the Lord is either stronger or it's weaker. Uh, We are either committed, more committed, or less committed uh, as we live our daily life. And we are going through life facing the challenges that it brings, and we can choose to live our lives in such a way that we face those challenges alone. Uh, that we face those challenges without the Lord's help, without the Lord's uh, working in us. But that's not his plan. That's not his design. That's not what God wants for uh, anyone. What he wants is to be an active and vital part of every moment of every day of each of our lives. Uh, and so that, when that fails to happen, it's not a failure on the part of God. It's a failure on the part of man. And so when we stop and we look and just consider this morning, May I challenge you to evaluate your own heart and life, and as you look back over The past year and forward to this new year, determine, let's determine in our heart that we want to go forward, that we want to be progressing, we want to be uh, moving forward with the Lord and allowing God to work in our heart and accomplishing something for the glory of God. We have not been saved and put here to just exist, to just consume air, Uh, we have been put here to make a difference in the world around us. And so that's the challenge of every Christian, Uh, that's what all of us should aspire to do. In our text this morning, 40 years have transpired since last Sunday. Uh, and so, see, I told you time was moving forward uh, at an incredible rate. And so, we started last week and we looked at the Red Sea crossing and we saw what God did in their hearts and their lives. And He commanded them at that point go forward, step out by faith. Into the sea as he parted it and uh, and brought them across on dry ground after he had performed the miracles of the plagues and destroyed Egypt for their sake and 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 set them on that course and uh, so as those years have passed and God has delivered them from the bondage of Egypt uh, in spite of all that God had done for them they still were a stiff-necked stubborn people uh, and so when they crossed <clears throat> they. Set out across the Sinai and they uh, made their initial journey, which was uh, just a, a very relatively short amount of time, considering the amount of people that they had just uh, two to three weeks or so uh, to get to where God wanted to bring them into the promised land. And then He sent out the spies, and uh, we know the story how they came back, and only Joshua and Caleb uh, said that God can do what He said He would do, and the rest of them said no, and the people followed the ten rather than those that were uh, living by faith and willing to remember what God did in bringing them out of Egypt and so for 40 years, they wandered, and everyone at that moment that was 20 years of age or older would die in that 40 years. Uh, I, we don't know for sure how many people were there. Uh, but we Estimates are somewhere between 2 and 4 million, uh, but there's no way to know for sure. The scripture never tells us that uh, definitively. We only know that God in those 430 years in Egypt took them from 70 to a great multitude of people. And and so when they crossed and they made their way and God provided miracles for them, even on the journey, they still were not willing to move forward into the land that God had promised them, the land that God had set us preserved preserve for them. Uh, and God did not just say, hey, I'm going to march you across here and just, just, just you just got to jump in here. God was careful to even steer them around the land of the Philistines. The Bible is very clear about that so that they wouldn't get discouraged because of the power of the enemy to an easier point of entry, though they would have to fight battles and they would have to overcome obstacles. And by the way, if you're going to do anything in your life for God, if I'm going to accomplish anything in my growth uh, with the Lord and my relationship with God, there are going to be battle struggles that I'm going to have to overcome. Uh, most of those struggles and problems are going to be self. Uh, and so there are many things in my life that I cannot, I cannot rightfully blame on others, most of the problems and hardships in my life are self-inflicted. They are the result of decisions that I've made sometimes decisions that were recent, sometimes decisions that were long ago. Uh, And so God forgives me from my sin and I praise the Lord for that, but he does not necessarily deliver us from the consequences of it Uh, and the decisions that we made. We have to reap what we've sown. That's just a Bible principle. It's just a a law of God. And so as we uh, have gone across here and they get to the point where God says, all right, we're here and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to grow you and I'm going to fight your battles for you and I'm going to help you win the victory if you'll just follow me in faith. And all they could see were the giants of the land. All they could see were the problems that were before them. All they could see were the obstacles that they felt they could not overcome. And if they were going to face those things alone, they were right. But with God, they were wrong. And you can look at the new year and we can assess the new year and we can look at the challenges that we have before us. And every one of us here this morning, as we look at the new year, have challenges And obstacles, whether they be relational, whether they be financial, whether they be work-related, we all have obstacles in the path ahead of us. And if you try to face them on your own, they will be too big for you. They will overwhelm you. They will beat you down. They will crush you. But God did not intend for us to go forward alone. God intends for us to go forward with him. He wants to engage in your life. He wants to engage in my life. He wants to be a part of every moment of my day. And it's not supposed to be about, hey, all of the things that we're supposed to do. It's about the relationship that we cultivate, (coughs) excuse me, and develop with him. So what would they choose? He says to them in verse 16, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff necked. Now, this is an important passage of scripture in the sense that, uh, that the circumcision of the males, uh, in Israel were a, were a symbol of the covenant that they had with God, that God had with Abraham. It was the symbol of the promise that God had made to them. It was a symbol that God would fulfill his promise and, and it was an outward symbol of what God desired from the inward relationship. And so moses's message here from god is circumcise your heart in other words the outside is secondary to what's internal the outer action the outer uh checklist of to do's and to don'ts uh is secondary to relationship and we come to a place in uh and and i'll say frequently that religion sends a lot of people to hell religion condemns a lot of people to an eternity without God because religion is all about serving uh, man and serving the church and by the way the church is the institution that God established but uh, but the church was not established to be served the church was established to give us a mechanism to come together and worship and fellowship with God to allow God to meet our needs and to encourage us along the way so that we could come together In worship and in service To accomplish the agenda of God And getting the gospel out We want to go forward with the Lord This morning And so God comes to them and he says listen uh, You've got got a tabernacle You've got uh, Eventually a temple Uh, You're going to have all of these different things throughout your history, uh, and you're going to be tempted to serve other gods. You're going to be tempted to go back to the pagan ways of Egypt. You're going to be tempted uh, to uh, just put all of the focus and the emphasis uh, on the temple worship and the sacrifices and all the things that have to be done. But just doing all the things that have to be done does not guarantee that I'm with you or that I'm empowering you. And so often we go through life knowing that this is what a good Christian should be. This is what a good Christian should do. This is what, uh, what the Bible says we're supposed to be uh, doing and be about. And that's great. That's wonderful. And it's not, uh, I'm not faulting anybody for trying to uh, to, trying to you know, check the boxes or dot the I's and cross the T's in their life of all the things we're supposed to do. But if we're doing all the things we're supposed to do without a relationship with the one who gave us the command, then we're doing it in vain. It might make us a better person where the world is concerned, but we're missing out on the power and the blessing of God. And listen, what we need is God's presence. What we need is God's power. What we need is God's encouragement along the way, God's leadership and God's guidance. And God says to them, listen, you came here and they rejected me. And for 40 years, you've been wandering. And the old generation has died and a new generation has risen up and a new generation has the opportunity to accept by faith what God has set before them. Or to reject it again. And he says, listen, uh, don't worry about the outer, uh, worry about the inner. Let's get first things first. Let's get things started here on the right foot. Uh, and let's get this new year started on the right foot. Are we going to go together in our own power, and our own strength? Are we going to go forward in our own power, and our own strength and face life's problems, trying to hold each other up, humanly speaking? Or are we going to embrace the Lord and go forward with him? So there's only so much that we can do for one another there's only so much we can do for self. There's only so much that the church, minus God, can do to help those that are in need. But God can supply all of our needs. Amen. And so we're going to go forward this morning. Are we going to go forward alone or are we going to go forward with God? But we can rest assured that life will march on, that time will move forward. And whether I choose God or choose self, uh, I, I will, uh, will, it will advance. <coughs> Excuse me, let's go together with God. Now, God lays out here some requirements for his guidance and blessing. And he says here, come with me, go forward with me. So, Pastor, where does he say that? Well, look at verse number 12. We're going to get into that a little bit deeper now. It says, and now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So what's he saying here? He's saying three things. Fear me fellowship with me, and be faithful to me. And what I would say this morning, if I would go forward with God this morning, then I must come to a place in my life where I would move forward in my life with God, realize that I must, first of all, go forward in fear. I must go forward in fear. In verse number 12, again, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God? Now, to fear thy Lord thy God to someone that doesn't have much Bible knowledge or understanding uh, may sound like an odd thing because we look at it and we think, well, why would a God that loves us and a God that wants to fellowship with us want us to be afraid of him? But fear means a lot more than just that. Fear, uh, in its definition here, in this particular word in Scripture, means to regard, uh, to, to revere, or to reverence. It means to regard with fear mingled with respect and affection. Now, one of the things that, <coughs> one of the reasons that, <coughs> that Satan attacks the family uh, so vehemently is because the family is designed by God. The God Institute made two institutions on this earth. He instituted marriage first, then he instituted, when he instituted the home, and then he instituted the church. It's the only two things that God's ever made institutionally. And he gave us the home first because the home is a picture of what our relationship with God should be. God gave us very defined roles within the home. And God gave us within that home a, a, a purpose and what we're to do. Uh, God created man, and man was to uh, care for the garden. Man was to walk with God. Man was to fellowship with him. God looked down and said, it's not good that man should be alone. Uh, and so he made a help meet for him. Uh, and he made man out of the dust of the ground. All you guys were just a bunch of dirtbags. Yep. <laughs> but ladies, uh, you weren't made out of the dust of the ground. You were taken from, your, from the man's rib. We were taken from the side because we were to be a helpmate to him. And God symbolically showed and demonstrated, And God could create from whatever he wanted to. He could create from nothing. But he chose to go this route because he wanted to set in order uh, God's role and God's institution. Everything about our culture is geared to destroy the home. It is geared in this day and age to destroy the concept of the home. Our children are indoctrinated through an education system uh, the, with, the, with the knowledge and with the philosophy of home destruction, of the annihilation of what God has set in order. Uh, and the world's view, anything and everything, all relationships should just be all free and everything should be just wonderful and great. That's not biblically sound. That is not what God instituted. God instituted one man, one woman for life, the home because it is symbolic of the relationship that man has with God. Uh, I have four children. My children, I think, would say uh, that there were times when they were being, uh, and they're all grown now, but there were times whenever they were uh, growing up that uh, that they knew that their action had angered their father and they were afraid. That doesn't mean that they were afraid that dad was this tyrant that was going to be chopping their head off. That doesn't mean that it was a tyrannical thing where, uh, where uh, we were going to come in and, and, and take uh, every, everything and strip them of identity and take away possessions and all of those things. But they feared with reverent affection. My children, I think... Uh, you know, I don't know if they, if, what they think now, but, uh, but when they were growing up, whenever, uh, whenever we would get alone, I mean, there was a lot of times that they would just come and, uh, and, and I say, I don't know now, even now, uh, you know, if I, if I walked to the back of the auditorium after church and, uh, and, and the boys are in conversation with someone, I walk up and put my arm around them. Generally, I get an arm back. We sitting around the house and, uh, one of my girls are home. They'll uh, oftentimes come and just sit on the sofa and just kind of lean back against dad. Why? There's an affection there. A reverent affection we are to fear the Lord but fearing the Lord uh, means in its proper context that I value I value God's proper position and authority in my life and I reverence what he is in my life and I'm afraid to to disappoint him I am afraid to hurt him I am afraid to anger him because as I know as a loving father he is obligated by his word to chasten me and if we understand the chastening hand of God that's a fearful thing now I'm grateful today that that relationship that I have with God is not a relationship of uh, of a of a creator God to a lost uh, creation who has rejected him that God acts as judge and jury and, uh, and punisher of sin. But my sin was punished on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sin and judgment for my sin will not be executed upon me because it's already been executed upon him. And when he did that, I was born into God's family. I became his child. I am his son. Not only was I born into his family, but I am adopted by him as well. And because of that, I have a special relationship with my Father in heaven who loves me. Does he have the ability to bring chastening to me? Yes. Does he have the ability to supply all my needs? Yes. Does he have the ability to comfort me and meet me whenever I need guidance and direction? When my heart is broken to lift me up? Yes. Does he have the ability to make me feel convicted or bad about my sin? Absolutely. That's the natural, proper relationship that God wants to desire. By the way, that's the natural, proper relationship that every child should have with their natural father. And when we understand and we, uh, we value those things, we have to understand, hey, I am moving Forward, I want to go forward with God. Where does that begin? It begins with fear. There's a reason that God sets these things in the order that he does. And he says, uh, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear fear? The Lord thy God. It doesn't mean hunker down and tremble as if he is going to come and squash you like a bug. It means to hold him up with reverent affection because he is the loving God that gave you life, that gave you salvation, that supplies and meets all your needs. That's what he's doing for Israel. He's looking at Israel and he's saying, listen, I have destroyed Egypt for you. I have brought you through the desert for you. I have made myself available to you. I have supplied you water from a rock. I have given you food, bread from heaven. I have brought in the quail. I've met every need that you have. For 40 years your clothes have grown with you. For 40 years your shoes have not worn. For 40 years everything that you need has been provided. Will you now move forward with me and trust me as I bring you into this promised land? As I conquered Egypt, as I've supplied your need, so can I conquer your enemies and give you the promised land. Go forward in fear to reverence him. Three thoughts about this. First, fear is the beginning of knowledge. Fear, proper fear, proper reverence of God, an affectionate reverence for God, is the beginning of knowledge. By the way, you cannot have wisdom until you have knowledge. Wisdom, by definition, is the, is the proper and correct use of knowledge. So I have to be acquiring knowledge and then I have to learn how to use it. You go and you teach your child how to do something. Uh, You don't just say, uh, okay, this needs to be done and there are the tools to do it. Do it. No, you give them the knowledge that they need to operate the equipment, to accomplish the objective, and then you help them to learn how to use the tool and to master the skill to use it well. Uh, And once they've done that and they are mastered that, then in essence what you have is first there's knowledge and then there becomes wisdom, the right use of that knowledge. Consider Proverbs chapter 1 and verse uh, number 7. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse number 7, uh, and the Bible tells us very plainly there that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. (coughs) Listen, what is it that God wants us to have? God wants us to fear him. Why? So he can give us knowledge. If I don't value and respect my teacher, my authority, then I'm not going to listen to what they have to say. I'm not going to appreciate what they have to give me. When I value the one who gives me instruction, and the fear of the Lord, the reverent affection that I have for the Lord, allows me to receive his knowledge, to receive his instruction. A fool will despise it. A fool will reject it. But fear is the beginning of knowledge. Secondly, we see that fear is the beginning of wisdom. Psalm 111 uh, and verse number 10. Uh, 111 and verse number 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise Endureth forever. He also says in Proverbs uh, chapter 9 and verse number 10 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. What is my life to be? Hey, listen, I need to learn who God is. (coughs) I need to, excuse me, walk with Him. I need to engage in fellowship with Him. I need to be growing in the knowledge of Him and moving forward in my life uh, to that end. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it is the beginning of wisdom. But notice in Psalm 25 and verse number 14, Psalm 25 and verse number 14, the Bible says this, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him and he will show them his covenant. The fear of the Lord is with them that fear him. Well, he'll show us his secret. What does that mean? That means that God will reveal more of himself to us. Listen, there are things that I can get clearly from just reading the pages of Scripture and understand about God. But there are deeper things and deeper meanings in the Word of God that I need the relationship with the Holy Spirit to reveal to me the deep things of God. Walking with Him, getting to know Him more closely, walking in fellowship with Him. And that's our second point this morning. Notice, first of all, that we want to go forward in fear. Secondly, we want to go forward in fellowship. Go forward in fellowship again in verse 10. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways? So we still haven't even gotten to do the commands yet. What are we supposed to do? Fear the Lord. Walk with him. Walk in his ways. What happens? The fear of the Lord leads me to have a desire for fellowship with him. Fellowship, by definition, means this. It means companionship. It means mutual affection. May I say this morning that God loves you whether you love him or not. God loves a lost world whether the lost world ever comes to him and loves him or not. God loved all of us enough to give his son Jesus Christ to pay our sin debt. Whether it's accepted, whether it's rejected, he has paid for the sins of every man. Fellowship is mutual association, mutual appreciation, companionship. It actually gets to the point where it becomes partnership. Listen, what the Lord wants us to be is in partnership with Him to further the gospel. He wants us not to walk alone, but to walk with Him. But it's about walking with Him, it's about going in His ways. Ways means habits of life, the activities of our life, the activities and the habits of our daily routine. And, and listen, <coughs> I can read my Bible, I can spend time in prayer and never fellowship with God. I can go through the motions of a religious activity and not fellowship with Him. I can, I can make God this abstract person in my life that I read about and that I pray to and then cut them off at that point and go live the rest of my day. That's not the relationship that God wants with us. What God desires from us is for us to be walking with Him at every moment of the day, to be involved in every decision that we make, to be a part of every conversation. Now, listen, I'm not advocating uh, that we are sitting off in some room or that you're driving down the road and everybody that's driving is watching you and they see you talking to some person that's not there that they can't see and you look like some crazy person. Now, most of us probably are on some level, but that's beside the point. But I can be engaged with the Lord in my heart, in my thought, in my mind? Do I, do I think? See, when my relationships in my life are right, I think about how my actions are going to impact those that are in my life. I think about how my decisions are going to impact others. I, I seek to go about things with the knowledge and understanding that this thing that I do could impact Every relationship in life. Now, sometimes uh, people have a pretty small sphere of influence, and uh, and and it's isolated, maybe to them or a spouse, in some cases a larger family unit, some cases those that we work with. And uh, if you work somewhere and uh, and you, uh, you know, go punch the clock, do your work and go home, but you really don't interact with a lot of people, your sphere of influence won't be as great. But if you uh, are in a position of leadership or uh, in that case, in my case, I have to think about all the things that I do, all the things that I say, the places that I go and, and interactions that I have with people in my good moments and in my bad moments, how it's going to impact the entirety of Victory Baptist Church and its ministries. God wants us to be walking with him with that thought. Lord, how would you have me to proceed? Lord, what would you have me to do? Lord, how would you have me to handle this issue? Lord, would you, and that means that every once in a while during the course of the day, we might have to stop and wait on an answer. That means sometimes we might have to kind of table something that we've got on planned on the horizon until God either says yay or nay or until God shows his timing. We're talking about fellowship here. Fellowship grows as we walk in His ways. As I understand what God's plans are, what the habits that God wants in my life and I begin to embrace Him and to walk in them, what cultivates then is a relationship with Him where I am engaged with Him throughout the day and I'm walking in fellowship and partnership in a relationship with Him. That's what God desires. He says, listen, uh, circumcise your heart Don't worry so much about all of the outward things. Fix what's in here. Walk with me here. I promise you this, if we walk with the Lord internally, then the outer things in our life will fall into place as God grows us. I'm not advocating that we just say, hey, we love the Lord, and we can go do whatever we want, and God's okay with it. That's not true. God is holy. God is just. God has expectations for our lives and what they should look like. But if the emphasis... Is on what we do rather than on the reason and the one for whom we do it, then our our priorities are wrong. God takes us where we are, but He doesn't leave us there, He brings us into His image. Go forward in fellowship. First, we would say that fellowship grows as we walk in his way. Secondly, that fellowship strengthens as our love for him grows. The more that I know him, the more that I experience him, the more that I am engaged with him, the more that I'm going to love him. The more I love him, the more I care about how he feels about the decisions that I make, the company that I keep, the activities that I engage in. If I'm going to go forward with the Lord this year, I need to go forward in fear but I also need to go forward in fellowship. By the way, I cannot properly fellowship until I properly fear. What does that lead me to, Pastor? Well, if I learn to fear him and reverence him with respect and affection, and I engage in fellowship with him, then that's going to bring me to a place where I want to be committed to him. I would say lastly this morning, go forward with infidelity with God. Go forward in fidelity with God. Fidelity just means faithful. Faithful. We want to be faithful to the Lord. Fidelity, by definition, means the careful and exact observance of duty or performance of obligation. Now, understand here. Say, well, Pastor, you just said not to worry so much about the duty or the obligation. That's not what I said. I said make it about the relationship. You see, in faithfulness, I am going to carry out my obligations and my duties because I love him. Not because I'm in fellowship with him. Because I'm in partnership with him. Not because I have to. And here's the difference. The Christian who just does the things that they're supposed to do because it's what we're supposed to do, but never enters into a relationship with Christ, has their whole Christian life as nothing but a drudgery. That's not the life that God planned for us. But the Christian who engages in a fellowship relationship with God does it because it is the joy of their life. Because it is an expression of their love. And so it is the careful and exact observance of duty and performance or of obligation, but it's more than that. It is the firm adherence to a person or party with which one is bound. Fellowship binds me to God. See, God bound me to himself when he saved my soul. I can't get away from that. God's never going to forsake me. But I don't want to just be in a relationship where he's the only one that's engaged in the relationship. I want to be bound in my heart back to him. I want it to be a two-way street. I want it to be an avenue where God uh, is working. It also means to, be, uh, to have honesty, veracity, and adherence to truth. That's what fidelity means. Two things about this. If I am faithful to the Lord, I will be faithfully committed to God and to the doing of his will for my life. And then secondly, I will be fully devoted to God <coughs> excuse me. above all else. Fully devoted to God above all else. Now, I kind of put this in context as we kind of wind down this morning. My wife and I have been married for 30 years, just about. We have a relationship where there's a, a mutual fear and admiration. Say, Pastor, you fear that little thing? Yeah, you see her when she's mad, you'll understand. And so uh, there's, there's a mutual respect and admiration. We entered into a relationship on February 4th, 1989. We stood at the front of an altar of a church that the building's abandoned now uh, on one of the main streets that run through the little town of Levitown, Puerto Rico. And we exchanged vows there. At that moment, we entered into a covenant relationship. We are in a covenant relationship with God. Now, how we conduct our marriage, how we grow our relationship is going to reflect largely how we interact with one another, how we treat and train our children, how we uh, present to those around us. All of that is based upon Not just the commitment, not just the fear, the reverence, the appreciation of the relationship that we're in, but on the fellowship. We walk and we do certain things because it's what's required in a marriage relationship, but do we do it to where it's a drudgery or do we do it because it is our joy? When there's fellowship, it's joyous when it's only out of obligation it's misery remember i told you at the beginning our relationships are often a picture of our relationship with god especially in the home and god designed that relationship that covenant he brought us together uh, so that we would understand so that we would have a physical tangible relationship-based formula to envision and see that what we experience here, we can experience here. That's what God wants for us. And so we entered into a relationship. We fellowship. Now, over 30 years, sometimes the fellowship's been sweet. Sometimes it's been bitter. Sometimes there's been problems. Sometimes things have been great. There's always been ups. There's always been down, and there always will be. But overall, by and large, that relationship has been a nurturing relationship. A relationship in which I as the father and the husband of the home have stood, have led, have guided, have directed, have at times made hard decisions most of the time. Those decisions have been joint decisions. Occasionally, rare. Occasionally, uh, they've been uh, they've been individual and not necessarily appreciated. Uh, but uh, but ultimately. She understood in the role she has been created by God to be a complement, to be a completer, to be the helpmeet to ministry, to service, to walk with God, to raise it, to training children, to setting forth another generation to serve God and to uh, carry on the work of God. That's the desire and and the plan that God has set in place. And he said, listen, you can enter this relationship and you can... You can walk in the way of the relationship and it can be a burden or it can be a blessing. The key to blessing is fellowship. The key to blessing, the key to joy in the Christian life, the key uh, to closeness to God is not in just saying, okay, God, I love you and I'm going to do all these things for you. It's in genuine fellowship with the Savior. And then there's the the idea of fidelity. Fidelity. Faithfulness. I can be faithful to her and she can be faithful to me because it's part of the marriage agreement or because we want to. What makes us want to? Fellowship. What makes me want to be faithful to God? There are things that we do, and as a family, that and, and as a married couple, that, that we do. They are, they are daily chores. There are things that must be done. There are responsibilities. There are obligations. And we can either be flippant and casual about them, or we can be diligent about the execution of them. Listen, faithfulness diligently executes its duty. Now, that faithfulness can diligently execute the duty because I have to, Or I can faithfully execute the duty because I love her and I want to. Faithful execution of duty to the God with whom I am in fellowship with is nothing more than an expression of my love and commitment to him, not because I have to, but because it's my heart's desire. Because I want to please him. Listen, I want to come home to a happy wife. I want to come home to a peaceful home. I want to come home with harmony. I want to come home where we can go out and do things together and it's not a drudgery. I want to come uh, where, we, where when we're apart, even if it's just for the working hours of the day, that we look forward to coming back into one another's company and fellowship at the end of a day or when a trip has to be taken uh, without one another and all of those types of things. Do we miss each other when we're apart? And in our case, yes, but we ought to miss God when we're apart from him too. Am I committed because I have to be, because it's right, because it's what I agreed to, because it's the burden of my life, or am I committed because it's the joy of my life and the expression of my love? Well, I would say this morning, if we want to go forward in this year with God, we must understand that it begins with the fear of the Lord, with a proper, reverent appreciation of who He is and what He has done in our lives, where we appreciate His power, where we understand His promise, where we engage uh, in uh, in the activities of the Christian life, but we come into sweet communion and fellowship with Him, where we embrace Him, where we walk with Him, where we're in conversation with him where our activities are governed by what he thinks about them and whether it's going to be pleasing to him or whether it's going to bring him joy or whether it's going to bring him happiness and make him proud of us and pleased with us or whether it's going to make him have a desire to want to bless us and to supply and meet our needs he is obligated as our father to supply and meet our needs but I don't want him to do it because he's obligated I want him to do it because I brought him joy do I have a desire in my heart to walk in sweet fellowship and communion with my Lord or am I just simply here because that's Sunday I'm a Christian I'm supposed to be at church do I want to write out my tithe check and drop in the offering plate because I got paid this week that's all I'm supposed to do I really wish I could use this money on something else, but here you go, God. I mean, just think about it for a minute. You come home from work, you've been working all day, and you walk in the door, and you sit down to dinner, and wife comes out. Hair hadn't been touched since she got up. Makeup hadn't even had the seal broken off of the package. Still wearing a nightgown. Got one flip-flop on and one's lost. (laughs) Sit down at the table. Comes a plate of Hormel chili. Looks like Alpo melted down in the microwave. (laughs) Plops it in front of you. Spills it all over the table around you. Gives you a fork instead of a spoon and says, hope you enjoy it, dear. (laughs) Sad thing is, is that a lot of guys that get home, that's about what they deserve. They haven't put much more into their marriage than their wife has. And that's the way a lot of us approach Christian life. God, you promised a roof over my head. You promised food in my belly. You promised to meet my need. Well, God, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. You owe me. I deserve it. No. I mean, God, I went to church. I wrote my tie check. (laughs) I even showed up to visitation once last month and knocked on three doors. (laughs) I've gone the extra mile. Well, Lord, it's not the relationship that God wants with you. It's not the relationship that we want with God. What we want is for God to be excited that we got home. What we want is to be excited to come together and to worship. What we ought to desire is to say, God, I am going to be faithful to you. Not because it's my commitment, but because I love you. Because I want you to be pleased. I am committed to our relationship because I want you to know how much I love you and how important you are to my life. Listen, time will march on in 2019. One year from now, it'll still be January 13th, but it'll be a new year. Will we look back and say, time marched on, but my Christian life went back? Or will we be able to say, I went forward with God. God can't decide that for you. Your pastor can't decide that for you. Your husband, your wife, your mother, your father, your child, your grandparent can't decide that for you. You have a God that loves you. He's standing right there. He went to Moses and he said, all right, we've already been here once, 40 years ago. But they were stiff-necked. And they wouldn't listen. And they wouldn't accept me. You've been out there now for 40 years. We're back again. We're at the entry point. I have a promised land just for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a, man, it's a land full of blessing and promise. And it's all yours. Yes, you've got to fight some battles. Yes, you have to overcome some obstacles. But you don't have to do it alone. It, the battle is mine. I just want to engage in the process with you. I want to give you the victory. That's the life that God had for them, and that's the life that God wants for you. Will you this morning stop going through the motions of the Christian life and say, Lord, I want to get a new image of you. I want to get the clear, real, true image of you, that I might fear you, that I might learn of you, that I might appreciate you, that I might experience you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to learn what it's like to walk with you. I want to learn what it's like to feel your presence in my life, not just when you're convicting me about my sin at the end of a church service, but every moment of the day. And Lord, I want to show you how much I love you by faithfully doing the things that you have set in order for my life, your will for my life. I want to know it. I want to own it. I want to perform it because I love you.